0: And so something that was once survival for you and helpful for you has now become detrimental to you in your relationships because you now blame yourself and say, well, it must be my fault that my partner is stressed out. I maybe can change something or do something different in my environment to make this easier on them. And that you can see shows up in various relationships in our lives. And it no longer serves you in the ways that you thought that it
1: once did. I know you are doing the best that you can right now. Your relationships matter to you. You are important. And yet over time, we get stuck. We get lost or we stop showing up as our true self. We get hung up on the stories we tell ourselves, the comparisons, or feeling like we are not good enough. I'm Not Your Shrink is a podcast aimed at helping you feel connected to yourself to others and to live a life that is in line with what matters most to you. I'm Dr. Tracy Dalglish, clinical psychologist and couples therapist. I bring you clinical knowledge and evidence-based research, experiences of sitting in the therapist chair, and being a wife and mother to talk about everyday issues we all face to help you change the dialogue in your life. Let's dive in. Today's episode is all about this pattern of how we understand the world. I absolutely love how my two guests today bring to life this oh so common tendency, which is personalization. Let me tell you, I know this journey. I know I've worked through this tricky thought pattern frequently before. I see it in my clients. I see it in those I love. I also see it with my children. So nobody's immune to getting stuck in this. And I just love how today's guests talk about it. So today I am sitting with Emily Beerley and Jennifer Chakin who are both licensed marriage and family therapists, co-owners of the private therapy practice called The Therapy Group, and co-hosts of the Shrink Chicks podcast. They believe in being down to earth, authentic, and transparent, which are values they bring both to their practice as well as their podcast. Their mission is to make therapy more relatable and accessible, working to break down that clinical wall. Near the end of the episode, we talk about how you can practice depersonalizing in a tough moment. Now, knowing where we are in the year and knowing that we're approaching the holiday season, I want to make sure that you have the resources that you need to help you through what is for many people a tricky time. So I've put together one of my favorite packages just for you, I've never put this out here before, but i know it's one that is going to be so helpful. It is all about you identifying your triggers and also working with your nervous system. So i frequently teach this to my clients in my office and it's one of my favorite master classes to give. It's one of my favorite webinars. So i have never released these lessons before, but it's a full webinar and special guides to help you tackle your triggers. And I know this is going to help you show up more connected and calm within yourself throughout the holiday season. So in these sessions, I'm teaching you all about the nervous system, how to identify the three states, and as well, how you can shift from being shut down, being in that fight or flight mode, and coming back into that calm state. To learn more, go to my website, drtracyd.com forward slash regulate. That's R E G U L A T E to find out more about this special bundle that I have going on for you right now for the holiday season. All right, let's move into today's episode. Emily, Jen, thank you so much for joining me here. I am so excited to have this episode with both of you. And I think when we put this into context of where we are right now, I think we're gonna have this conversation around just really thinking into showing up authentically in our relationships and how to not take things so personally or to not personalize it, which really is part of being authentic in all relationships. But before we do that, can you please tell us about you and what you're both doing and how Shrink Chicks came to be? Oh, so fun. We
0: love this story. My name is Jennifer Chaikin. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, relationship expert, uh, sex therapist. Emily is the same, like we always (laughs) have after we go back and forth with one another. We're like, I'm just going to repeat exactly what you said. We own a private practice called The Therapy Group, and we have a podcast called Shrink Chicks. And what both things are really doing is destigmatizing the conversation around mental health and making it more relatable. So we talk a lot on our podcast about uh, having different conversations from a really down
2: to earth perspective. So I would say that's the gist of it. Em, you want to jump in? Yeah, I mean, we met in grad school. And one of the things we both were so excited, right, you know, when you like first get into grad school, you're doing your PhD, or whatever, and you're like, I'm going to learn everything. And I'm going to be do this. And I'm so into it. And like, so we did that we had this experience. And then I also had this experience of being in the program and feeling like I couldn't actually say anything. In the sense of I wasn't saying it right, or I wasn't saying it in academic mm. terms. And like, in general, I'm actually someone who grew up with a learning disability and never did great in academia. But I have like an unbelievable right like emotional IQ, and I'm great with people, but I never did really great in a traditional learning environment. So I get to grad school, every conversation, you know, is like, well, to piggyback off that, or to circle back around. And I'm like, what are these words people keep saying? Basically, we were working at a community mental health place. And we said, okay, well, let's start a practice. We didn't mean for it to be group practice at the time. But like our whole thing is I'm not going to use any type of psychobabble. Like everything we do, we're going to explain exactly what it means. Because we felt like there was a good amount of gatekeeping. And I had really felt that in my grad school experience. I walked up to Jen the first day of grad school. She was the only person who I felt like wasn't using these terms. And I said, you're going to be my best friend. And, you know. Just because so, I wasn't speaking at all. just because, <laughs> because me, you know? <laughs> And 12 years later, we said, let's keep having these conversations. And part of that is that the therapy world with agent also sometimes leaves people out. Mm-hmm. And for us to use words and terms and help people understand things. Because I think sometimes when you're in a situation like this, people don't ask. Right. I would be using terms in the clinical room and clients would have no idea what I'm talking about. But they were too worried about what I thought to ask. Mm -hmm. And so I think that there's something to being incredibly honest and down to earth and using right language that relates to people that's very helpful. And so that's what we started doing. And apparently people thought it was slightly entertaining.
0: And, you know, Emily and I have also had our own experiences with therapists that felt too clinical and walled up. And Mm. we were as relationship therapists, we were getting this consistent messaging of the most important thing in therapy, the thing that is going to help your clients transform is the relationship that you build with your clients. And so we
1: and were... yet here you were though having experiences of <laughs> exactly. this divide and separation
0: exactly. Yeah. So we were faced with this big conundrum, you know. And in grad school, they said to us, "Neuter yourselves."
2: What Came an image!
0: This... Yeah, right. Yeah, and don't we... be too feminine. Don't be too masculine. Yeah. Don't be too
2: much. We were told to be careful about wearing dresses, like anything. And we were faced
0: with this question of like, how are we supposed to really build these authentic? transformative relationships mm. with our clients mm-hmm. if we can't be our authentic selves. And so that is what we set out to do was create a practice that allowed our clinicians to obviously have boundaries and not bring them, you know, like their own stuff into the room, but to be able to use their experiences to be able to be themselves, to be able to say like this is what I feel comfortable in and to really meet the client where they are and from a really down to earth place. And so that is what we set out to do right after grad school. And since then, you know,
1: we've, we've gotten ourselves here. I'm so glad you're here first. Thank you. So thank you for joining me here and also having this conversation with me. But also there's this piece here. So just to clarify, we're talking about meeting clients where they are. So some clients do not want to know anything about you. And they don't want you to enter into the room in any way. They want you to process it, work with them in that way, give you the skills and tools they need. Whereas other clients, and I mean, all people have this. It just depends on what they're looking for in that therapy period where a lot of stuff comes up for them just by sitting in front of somebody else. And if your client says to you, I'm worried you're judging me. And if you immediately and only go back to them, what do you think that's about? (laughs) that <laughs> for you, right? That in some ways, we actually, it's so human to be able to say, that, you know, that makes sense, right? That makes sense that you're yes. doing that. And also let me disprove that, that there's no judgment coming from me. In mm-hmm. fact, I think this blah, 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 That right? Yes.
0: And what we very much believe is like the isomorphic nature of your relationship with your therapist, that you take that oh. out into your relationships in the world. Yes. And if as a therapist, you don't meet the client in that way, then it's hard to make that transition, right? Like Mm -hmm. how are we helping our clients to heal in the therapy room so that they can bring that into their relationships Mm -hmm. outside of the therapy room? And if I just go to a client and say, well, what does that mean to you? Mm -hmm. Right? Like that's not something that's going to help you really work on some of the stuff Mm -hmm. that's coming up in your relationships that you can take outside of the
1: therapy room. Support for today's episode comes from Loop Earplugs for so long after having children, I kept wondering why I was easily overwhelmed and felt like an angry mom. The noise from the kids, the dog barking, and the sounds around me from everyday life. But I now understand that I'm not an angry mom and instead my nervous system gets overwhelmed and overstimulated, which is why I've been turning more and more to my loop earplugs to help me stay more regulated and engaged with the family. I'm using loop engage to help dampen the sound around me and these loop earplugs allow me to still be with every beat and conversation i still hear greg i can still hear the kids i love that they are so comfortable and they come with eight silicone ear tips to ensure the right fit for you times Dr. Tracy for 10% off your order. That's L-O-O-P-X-D-R-T-R-A-C-Y for 10% off your order. Support for today's episode comes from Cozy Earth. You know I am all about caring for ourselves, especially in these busy years with our young kids. We are pulled in so many directions, but I think it's so important for us to find ways to nurture ourselves that require no additional time from us. I should probably let you in on one of my favorite things to do to look after me, and that is to get a good night's sleep on amazing. Sheets. I am beyond thrilled to bring you Cozy Earth's luxurious bedding products with an exclusive Mother's Day offer just for my listeners. We've got a code. It's SHRINK, S-H-R-I-N-K, for 35% off at CozyEarth.com. Now, I didn't believe it until I tried them, but I firmly stand by my sleep improving with the temperature-regulating technology, which adapts to your body's needs. For the past year, I have not slept on any other brand of sheets cozy earth uses the very best fabrics materials and wares offering superior softness for you to sink into at the end of those long days i look forward to getting into bed and we've been loving the sheets for over a year and their sleepwear is so unbelievably soft and it's made with such great quality but the best part is that if you're worried about commitment enjoy a 100 night sleep trial and a 10 year warranty on all of your purchases head over to Cozy. CozyEarth.com and use promo code SHRINK for an exclusive 35% off and give the luxury she deserves with Cozy Earth. Support for today's episode comes from ZocDoc. We all know there are things in life we have to compromise on, like the right way to load a dishwasher or whether those socks are going to stay on the floor for a week. Okay, in all seriousness, but when it comes to your mental health, There is no compromise, so we don't need to go back to that one therapist or one physician who didn't align with what we need just because they're available right now. We don't need to compromise on the care we need for our overall wellness. Instead, this is where ZocDoc comes in. This is a place where you can find and book hundreds of types of doctors, including therapists, psychologists, and psychiatrists and you can find someone who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you and prioritize your well-being. Zocdoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of patient reviewed in-network doctors including mental health providers and instantly book appointments with them online. You can search by location, availability and insurance. Go to zocdoc.com/inys and download the Zocdoc app for free, then find and book a top-rated doctor today. If I needed this app, this is one that I would be going to. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash I-N-Y-S and get the care that you need today. What has it been like then for both of you to maybe show more of you? I know for me and my experience of being in this position, What's it been like for you two to share more, to have this podcast, potential
2: clients know? This take is off. how you learn to not take things too personally. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. That's, that's yeah. yeah. I yes. think, um, so one of the things I did before we started going as this podcast, I said to my, to my clients, hey, I'm starting this podcast. I want to be really clear about what that's going to mean in case you see it come up, Right. I'm never going to talk about you, like go over what hip is, like gave them some understanding of like, you know, if you hear me talk about something and it feels like yours, it's probably also because there was three other clients who also experienced Mm -hmm. it, right? Mm -hmm. Like if I'm talking, if I'm sitting here talking about mental load, it's because five other people on my couch talked about it this week, right? I'm not just talking about you. And so one, I was like very clear about like, this is what this is going to look like. But then this other thing started happening. So I said, like, you don't ever have to listen to this or you can listen to it if you want to bring it to the room. Mm -hmm. And here's what started happening. Clients kept coming in and all of a sudden they were bringing up things they never brought up before because they Uh, heard me say it. Because they heard you. Mm -hmm. They heard me say it. Or they started saying things like, I didn't know you also experienced this. Here's the other part of it. And our work started getting deeper. And it started getting more relational. Mm-hmm. And this is something all of us experience, right? When you go to school is that don't ever do this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now so many of us that are putting ourselves out on social media are having a very opposite experience now. The people that have had a very negative experience, one, are really never my clients. If there's anything my client brings up, that's something that we've had a relationship for a very long time. We talk about that. But people get mad. Somebody wrote a lovely comment on a video the other day that told me to get back in the kitchen. So people are going to respond to you in a lot of different ways mm-hmm. when you are very honest. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, I want to that form. yeah, <laughs> they're going to respond to you when you're very honest. So I'm having the same experiences that showing up on social media, sharing this moment where I'm like, I'm not a good mom. I'm overstimulated. I can't do this. And, you know, same thing. When I say a client, it's like clients, multiple, yes. right? Yes. Um, but comes and is like, wow, I didn't know you were, you struggled. And the walls just came down and there's so much interpersonal stuff that was happening between us that we got to work. And, and in a way, right, we are their first relationships where we we become the safe, the reparenting place where we get to be the secure person for them. And they've got to try all this stuff here with us. So then they get to go home with their partner, with their mom, with their friend, with their kid, and then try it there. And it's so cool to see. And same thing for both of you in 2006, our professor in the first week of school said, make yourself non-existent on social media. And so what did we all, we all went home and it's like T. Lynn <laughs> on Facebook or like Tracy L. And it's not my last name, right? right, right. Or like You know, then I like did some kind of format of like my husband's last name, even though it's not right. mine, <laughs> to hide ourselves. Yeah. And So I know you've had that experience of stepping out of what the indoctrination has been, right? it was truly shocking how, at least for me, that it like really
0: deepened the work. There was something about, you know, it ended up being the client's decision whether they wanted to engage uh-huh. with that or not, uh-huh. right? Like whether they want to know more. Yes. And as we said earlier, like there are clients who that's, it's really helpful for them to know more and to uh-huh. be able to open up in that way. But Emily and I had to do a lot of like unlearning of, okay, you are allowed to disclose some of these things, you know, and I think, One of the things that is really helpful is coming from a one down position, where I think in kind of this like old world way of doing therapy, the therapist was coming from this one up of I know best, I know Mm -hmm. exactly what to do, I'm going to give you advice, and here's how it but I think it was really important for us as clinicians, as human beings, to be able to be very open about the fact that like, yeah, we're therapists, but also we're human beings. Mm-hmm. And as human beings, we also experience this stuff. And we also, we, you know, we could know and have studied all of this and we still go through this in our relationships. And I think that coming from that position as a therapist and as a human really opens up the window to connection and vulnerability in your relationship. So it's still in therapy with our clients, very much, you know, one sided. It's about our clients. We're focused on them. But the fact that they can know and understand that they're talking to a human being and it's Uh not this like clinical robot that Mm -hmm. was really, really important for us to infuse into our practice.
2: We made this decision to um, record a podcast after one of my miscarriages. And one of the things I started out the podcast by saying is, if you are my client listening to this, I am okay. And you do not need to take care of me. I have amazing support to take care of me. And it's like giving this preface that like, just because we share stuff actually doesn't mean you have to take care of us. I think that's right. important if you're going to make this decision <clears throat> to share difficult things in your life, mm-hmm. that it is your clients are not supposed to be taking care of us no matter what. That's not the job. But then you have people like, okay, I didn't realize you had a miscarriage. And this thing that you said about this experience was so helpful to me. And so for me, the risk is worth the reward. I would rather make a risk. And for me, I have long-term relationships with my clients. We have lots of open communication. I mean, I haven't taken on new clients in five years. So we've had long-term relationships. But to put myself out there, I'd rather take some of the negative than all this stuff, because the reality is, is that for a lot of people, therapy is not accessible. That's the piece. Exactly. And I don't believe that a lot of the big tech organizations are making it more accessible. I'm concerned that they're doing harm. And so for me, I'd rather put out a ton of free content that I can, because that's one thing I can do in this profession. Mm. Your missions align with mine as well.
1: It was the exact reason why I started this podcast. It's the, we are in our therapy rooms, not accessible to everybody and let's reach more people so they can take some of those skills and tools into their life because we are talking about mental health. We are talking about how do we live a meaningful life? Okay, I'm going to transition into this personalization thing. So what does that look like? Let's just even paint a picture. How does that show up for people if someone is taking something personally? So the way it can show
0: up for people is that if you're going out into the world in your relationships, that... The way in which someone else might be reacting to something or the way in which someone else might be activated by something or shut down by something is that we feel we must have done something or we're taking responsibility for the way in which they are reacting to it. So that's an example of it. You know, as we were talking about, it might show up on social media with someone saying, get back into the kitchen and they feeling, oh, wow, like I must have done something wrong or I must have, as opposed to, oh, well, that's that person's perspective. They're coming from a completely different view. And so it's basically taking other people's reactions in the world and saying, oh, this must be My responsibility to take this on a perfect example of this, I use this with Emily and she hated this when I brought this up, but I'll do it anyway. If we have a party, she usually hosts parties at our house and, you know, she is the best party planner. She thinks of everything Mm -hmm. as opposed to me. I'll bring like Tostitos chips and salsa (laughs) to a party. Like I'm the worst anyway. So, but at a party, she will always be like, I want everyone to have fun. Like I want to make sure everyone has a good time. And it's a perfect example, something that like, of course, we all feel that way when we have a party, right? We all want everyone to have a good time. But in the end, we don't actually have control or responsibility over how anyone else feels at that party. You could throw the best party. You could get the slip and slide. You could get the the ice cream truck. (laughs) You can get everything. If they are struggling with something in their own lives, they're not going to have a good time at your party.
1: Mm. There's so this, it's like, desired outcome, eh, in some way, when, when you yes. use an example, it's like I have an expectation or I have a need. And then if it's not met, then that's sometimes when that personal, it's, it's like something about me.
2: Yes. Yeah. And I think it's a false sense of control, right? So mm-hmm. like, here's an example. So we'll do these two little ones. So I'm walking by a group. This is, I'm like, yep. Yeah, anyone ever like feel scared to walk by teenagers? Like I walk by a group of teenagers yes. and I'm like, yeah, hey, yeah. are going to bully me. Right, <laughs> like you walk by. I'm at the mall. I walk by and I'm like, hide for the hills. Yeah. Um. So right, so I walk by. <laughs> Don't make eye contact. On <laughs> right. scary. For some reason, teenagers are the scariest sect of humans. Um. So I walk by and they're all laughing. Now they're laughing at a TikTok on their phone, but I'm like, oh, they're laughing at me because I'm like, you know, a feeling like this mom who's not cool anymore or whatever. Right. Has nothing to do with me. But but our minds believe it's us. Believe it. And so there's also this false sense of control that if I can know what people are thinking about me Mm. negatively, then I can change it. It's not like I'm going to go walk down the mall corridor and go buy some Heelys and do like a kick flick and be really cool. That's not going to happen. But in my head, I'm like, well, what can I do to like impress these people? And we do this across the board, right? So I'm taking an example of of strangers. But let's say that your boss comes in and they had a crap morning and they get upset with you about something. So one, okay, it's important to hear feedback. We want to hear constructive criticism. We want to hear feedback. But to take it and have it into this thing of like, I'm bad right so then that takes us into the shame spiral yes I use the and when I do workshops
1: and talks I bring my kids um block we all had this as kids and all of our kids had this which is the you know you've got the shapes on the top you have the square the circle Mm -hmm. the star right the triangle you have to put it in and match the block and so it's kind of like this outside experience Or even an internal experience. I almost want internal, external in the world, but between you, right? Between us right here, you take this block and someone's passing you a triangle, but then you put it and it's always a circle, right? It's always about you. It's always this view that somehow you're defective and that you're not enough. They're going to reject you. There's something wrong with you. And it's always going into this core bucket of I'm not worthy. There's something wrong with me.
0: There's ways in which this develops, right? And like a lot of the time this can develop from early childhood experiences, whether we Tell me more, like which ones? Yeah, absolutely. So whether we had like very critical parents, right? Or caregivers. Another example is- if we grew up in an environment that was chaotic or felt very out of our control. And right as children, we have absolutely nothing that is in our control. Everything is out of our control. And so, but if you're growing up in this chaotic environment or uh, let's say your parents are getting divorced, right? That kids develop this very specific survival mechanism of, well, if I put this on myself and I blame myself for this, then maybe I can change something about myself to change the situation, to feel like I have more control over what's happening in my environment. And that can be something that is adaptive for you when you're a child. Mm -hmm. And the thing that we know is that we take things that are once adaptive for us as children and we bring them into adulthood, right? So an example of that might be, okay, your parents... Uh, Maybe they're under a lot of financial stress or they're under a lot of work stress and you have no control over that as a child. So in turn, you say, well, I'm gonna make sure I'm easy, right? Like I'm gonna put everything on me. I'm gonna take this on myself. I'm gonna help with all of these things. And then if they're stressed out at all, That must be my fault, right? Like I must have done something. I wasn't easy enough for them. And so I'm going to do whatever I can to make sure that their lives are easier when in the end you had no control over that, but you developed it as a survival mechanism Mm -hmm. and you take that survival mechanism into adulthood and you bring it into your other relationships. And so something that was once survival for you and helpful for you has now become detrimental to you in your relationships because you now blame yourself and say, well, it must be my fault that my partner is stressed out. I maybe can change something or do something different in my environment to make this easier on them. And that you can see shows up in various relationships in our lives and it no longer serves you in the ways that you thought that it once did.
1: I think it's so important to acknowledge the survival strategy for that, that it's like we pick up these things to adapt, to feel safe. And it's not necessarily physically safe, but safety Mm -hmm. in the sense of security, comfort and soothing. So we stay close to our caregivers, right? That's what this is. And it's that internal sense. I talked about this in the book as well, is that, of course, we were looking to figure out what is this? What can I do? this doesn't feel good. So I'm going to figure out anything to try to maintain that connection, right? And the connection, right? If the connection is based
0: off, in this example, you being Easier, right? The easy child. And you're getting praise for that. And your parents are responding to you by saying, Oh, you're so great. Like you're so easy. You're the easy kid, right? You're Mm -hmm. getting positive reinforcement and you're getting connection from taking that on. Mm -hmm. And so then you bring that into your relationship to say, Well, I'm just going to be easy. And then maybe you learn to discount your own needs and focus on everyone else's needs, which is a really common thing that we experience, I think, as women too, as we're socialized in our relationship as well. And so that is just something to question. It's something to look at. And it's, you know, if, if you're someone who takes things really personally in your relationship or takes on responsibility of other people's emotions, it's something to ask yourself, is this something that's actually serving me? Or is this something that I developed that was once really adaptive for me as a child?
1: I want to add two more examples to that. So sometimes we do have highly critical parents who do blame us. It's not even just this adaptive strategy Mm -hmm. within us, but it actually is in context with a parent who is like, why would you do that? Why would you make me so mad? Right? Or it's like, how could you spill that? You know better. And so it's this like constant putting it on the child when a child may already be doing that themselves. So that's the one environment that also reminds me to ask ourselves, what do I do to myself when I make mistakes? Do I blame myself? Did I find a partner who blames me? Do I blame my partner when things go wrong, right? So how do we repeat these strategies? But the other one that's really interesting that I I think kind of needs a a mark here is the highly sensitive child. And I have this show up with my little guy all the time. And it's that if there is a mistake, It is like it's he's bad. He's the worst kid ever. So this one happened recently. He asked for a snack and I said, Okay, you know, we've done bedtime snack already. I wanna make a note that we need to start eating more at dinner time. This snack is not a meal, guys. Like come (laughs)
2: on. We'll try to convince you every time it is though. that snack <laughs> I mean, no, time no. at night is serious. <laughs> and then sometimes
1: I just don't have the reserve to work through it, because you know. But then on the flip side here, I am thinking, all right, yeah, go have the snack. Okay, go get, you know, go choose from the cupboard. That's your autonomy. Go choose from the cupboard what you'd like to have. Um, let's make sure we're eating enough at dinner. And I'm saying it to both of them because they were both in this mood the other night. Um, and then he's like, no, no, fine. I don't need a snack. I don't need a snack no I'm I'm fine I don't need it and like it's just this like internalization because that's how he is wired and it's taken me a long time I've you know the past two years I've really become aware of He's a highly sensitive child and he views the world differently and experiences comments like that differently. And it's, and again, you want to talk about personalization. It's not that I did anything wrong. I'm not a bad parent in that moment. It wasn't about me, but I could see the mismatch between what I did there and how he perceives the world. That it was all about him and how he's the bad kid and he should eat more at dinner. And so, nope, fine. Right. I actually have this really great book. Is it The Brilliant Resilient Mind? It's a pesky book and it's for kids. And it goes through the different thought patterns and through a story for kids. It's fantastic. And so now we actually use it as a resource of like, hey, buddy, are you doing that all or nothing thing like I talked about in the book? Okay, let's Ah. look at the book and see what we could do differently. Wish I had a, that as
2: a child. I, well, and part of that is, I mean, part of this is generational, right? Like the skills we're able to give our children now oh. are just incredible, right? The fact mm-hmm. that my four-year-old can be like, I have to take some deep breaths. Um, my daughter is amazing at knowing when she has to take a break, right? So we had this event at my house and she goes, I'm going to go inside and be alone now. <laughs> she goes into her playroom and then somebody walks by the playroom. She go to the bathroom and I hear her from a, I'm having some alone time. And I'm like, nobody's even coming near you. But for most of us, for many of us in our generation growing Uh up, we didn't have households that respected that. Uh And part of that is simply just generational. So because our parents were horrible people, we have to really understand how much growth and space there has been in such a short amount of time. I also
1: know that for parents who are listening,
2: and if you don't have the book
1: or you haven't, you know, we're a group of therapists here. So if you haven't said to your kid, what tricky thought pattern are you getting here? Are you using your assertiveness language? Like, please no, you are already amazing. So start here. Yes. Pause. You are already doing amazing. You are a good parent. You're doing a good job. You are enough. Right. And what a cool opportunity that you're sitting here with us talking about different ways that we as parents have tried these things. And I don't always get it right either.
2: Well, and it's so funny because people will always think for us like, oh, well, your marriage must be perfect or you must be such a good mom. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, like as if I don't like, right, like I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, I've never yelled or I've never mm-hmm. made mistakes or I'm not at night so exhausted. excited mm-hmm. to be on multiple podcasts like we still work and figure out a way to maneuver like we're all incredibly human. And so the cool part is we have access to resources, right? So if you're listening to this, and you're like, oh, I'd like to do that. Hey. Lots of places, my website, I'm sure your website has resource pages to get some Mm -hmm. information on this that you get to start at absolutely any time. But I think that there's something important to know. This is the importance of knowing yourself and trying to know other people. Study me, study you, study us together. Uh, Because if you didn't start to figure that out about your wonderful kiddo, that he's a highly sensitive kid, you might have been coming from a different route, right? A way that couldn't connect with him in a different way. And also it takes years of relationships to know people and years to know ourselves. Who I thought I was in my 20s -hmm. is very different than my 30s, right? Like who you grow in five, 10 years is incredible. Same with our kids and also same with our parents. And for many of us, we had parents that were growing up at the same time we were. So true, yeah. And just the information that they didn't have. And that now that they can have this opportunity
1: to be able to take in that information, maybe they do find a moment to repair with their adult child. Maybe they do, you know, shift a belief about something like there is that ability. Absolutely. A lot of
2: permission in there, isn't there? And empathy for others, right? We see this a lot, um, you know, for so many people. Well, that the term now is almond moms, right? Before I would grow up for many of us was like the 100 cap- calorie moms or the um, Nutrisystem moms, what, right? What's or, the term now? Almond moms. Oh, it's like it's so. This is the example of like, t- like so. This is the Gen Z term, right? Um. So if someone has an, am a millennial. Mom- yes, I know. <laughs> I know. Me too. She's Me old. too. We had to learn this. We okay. had to like stick with the times, right? Okay. So um. So that's what I mean. Like for our moms, it was like the Weight Watchers moms, but for yes, everything for- was low calorie. Exactly. Yes. Low calorie. Yeah. 100 calorie packs. No fat. Right. So for now, Gen Zs will be like, um, oh my mom had like a had a handful of almonds at lunch. Like, she's not hungry the rest of the day. I'm an almond mom. Oh, and interesting. So, does that make sense? Right. Yeah. And a- so, almonds we-
1: got me through grad school, though, because like <laughs> I always had a baggie of almonds. Yes. Like, you, you know, you don't want a
2: hanger to attack right. so exactly, you. Right. Absolutely. It's like scalloping day. Absolutely. <laughs> so, right. But so, for so many of us, right. So, for me growing up, my mom was always on some type of diet. Yes. And my mom's mom was always on some type of diet. Of my course. mom's mom was a teacher in New York in the 1920s and had an experience. My mom has this memory of going with her mom to go to the school board like area. And her, her mom got weighed before. weighed before she started the school year. weighed on a scale. But as a kid or your the weight? adult teacher? No, the adult teacher. The adult teacher got weighed before she started my grandmother. My mom has this memory in her brain. My mom and her mother were both on diet their whole life. So when I started on a diet very early, I could have a response. Yeah, I can be angry at my mom. That's valid. I could have those feelings around it. Mm -hmm. And I also look multiple generations back Mm. and understand that people are products of where they came from. And I'm not saying that hard feelings are not legitimate, but I could take it personally, my mom's experience, or I could look and say, wow, what chance did my mom have? Yeah what chance what chance did she have to escape diet culture she didn't have any she didn't have like you know dietitians dancing to a tiktok saying diet culture is bad she didn't know that word didn't exist and so when we talk about this idea of not taking things personally one of the things we really believe as systemic therapists is understanding generations back oh. of where people were coming from
0: and I think one of the things that we often see is when we are working with clients to help them understand, like, what's the root of this? Like, where did this come from for you? Is that there's a large struggle in, okay, if I understand this about my parent or my caregiver then it must be that I'm saying something bad about them in some way that it has to be one or the other, as opposed to that you can understand these things about your parent or caregiver, maybe how they weren't helpful for you growing up. And at the same time, understand that they're human and that they are a product of their own environment and how it got passed down generations. And I think so often we see that people feel like, oh, it has to be one or the other, right? Mm. Like it's either Um, I, you know, say they were all good or all bad as opposed to, no, this was hard. It would have been really helpful for me to have something different in my environment. Like that would have really helped me. And at the same time, I understand that they were doing the best that they could.
1: Let's stay with this example. So I'm even thinking of, um, you know, you, you go to the holiday dinner that is showing up the next few weeks and you have many times said, mom, we're not talking about my body. It's off the table or it's not the parenting strategy we don't want to talk about or don't ask about this. Right. And then what does mom do? She brings it up as a gift. Go. <laughs> You're going for seconds. Right. Or, you know, you guys still sharing a bed. You're still nursing. What, whatever it is. OK, so then there's that layer. It comes in. Right. It's personal. It's about
2: you. Mm-hmm. What do we do? Walk us through that. You betcha. Mm-hmm. My response is you betcha I'm going for that second plate. You betcha I'm still sharing that bed. You betcha I'm still breastfeeding. You betcha. So, <laughs> so, you, so, so you your wait.
1: response is like, a I do me. That's yeah, right? Like, yeah. So if, I, if I've on.
2: already set the boundaries, if I've uh-huh. already set the boundaries, so here's what I would say. The first thing I would do is set the boundaries. The example you used is I've already done this, right? So yep. I would say my first step would be, mom, we don't talk about this in front of the children. We're not going to comment on what anyone eats. We're not going to comment on parenting. That would be step one. Uh-huh. After somebody doesn't respect that. But mom I'm says gonna...
1: you're so sensitive. Oh, come on, Emily. You're so sensitive. I guess so. Ah, so, so you, To this so, subject. Right, right. I guess so. So you, just to demonstrate this, because also people aren't going to see this. They don't see your face. I think what you're doing, though, is your fence is closed. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have any, like, it's, we've closed up the fence. Because you're not going to take this in. But for so many of us, our fence is wide open. And especially when we go for family holidays, you know, yes, people change. Most likely we can see that our parents are going to behave in the same way, not just parents, but relatives, family, because, you know, behavior tends to be consistent, but we always have a choice of how we show up. So are we going to show up and be open and take everything into us, that personalization,
2: or do we have to ask ourselves, how am I going to show up here? When people talk about boundaries, they have this idea that it's hard outside, soft inside. Oh. Hard outside, hard boundaries. No, mom. Uh-huh. It's one of the most helpful things is switching that. Hard inside, soft outside. So the hard inside is I know who I am and I know what I want to do, whether it's had that second portion, whether it's sleep with my kid, whatever it is. The soft outside is, yeah, this is the decision that I'm making. But when we're first, especially when we're first starting to learn about boundaries, we have hard outside, soft inside. So we act like it's hard and then we're like totally crushed and sensitive inside Mm. and we take it home with us. So what would it be like to harden my inside? Who am I? What are my values? And soften the outside and the interactions. I was just going to say, I think a big piece of this too,
0: is understanding that person that you're setting a boundary with in this example, like your mother, that she is Coming at that from her own perspective and from her own views, her own beliefs, you know, growing up in that household, right, you were very much connected where you learned the beliefs that your mother had, you learned the way that she thinks You develop that, right? Like I'm going to start to think in that way or I'm going to, as you grow up and you start to differentiate yourself from your parents, you get to decide, is that actually what I believe about myself? Is that actually how I want to function? Is that how I want to raise my kids? And so I think when we're, you know, differentiating from our parents and developing our strong sense of self of like, no, this is what I believe. This is how I feel about the world and this is how I see things and start to understand that your mother even though she's making those comments directed at you are really about and the way that she grew up and the way Mm -hmm. that she learned to look at the world. And once you can start to make that separation between those those are mom's beliefs and here are my beliefs and they're allowed to be different. And that allows me to be hard on the inside, soft on the outside, because I can trust and feel really rooted in what my beliefs are and how I see the world and how I want to raise my kids in this example.
1: I know that's so hard for people to do is to have their feet firmly planted and say, I'm okay. I get to have my own thoughts and feelings and they're allowed to have different thoughts and feelings, right? It shows up in our romantic relationship as well. When our partners are in a bad mood and we take it personal. And the other piece in here too, I think we really need to call out is that there's this idea often that when I state a boundary, that means you change, you will always change and meet that for me. When when we're talking about boundaries, it's not at all about what the other person does. It's about our wants and needs
2: and what we're going to do. So as we talk about coming up on the holiday season and some of these meals, people so often are like, oh, I'll take care of myself afterwards. Pre-care, preventative mental health care matters. Mm -hmm. If you know that you're walking into what may be a difficult situation for you during the holidays, how are you going to take care of yourself beforehand? Not afterwards when it really falls apart. Even during the dinner, somebody makes a comment to you, you stand up for yourself, Go be like, oh, I'm going to go take a walk outside. You know, pretend you smoke cigarettes. You're like, I got to go take a break. Um, <laughs> Walk outside. Um, But you are allowed to step away. You're allowed to take time to ground yourself. You're allowed to go to the bathroom and listen to music to soothe yourself down mm-hmm. in that moment. You okay. do not have to wait until you fall apart afterwards to get care. Oh, yes. So t- think about yourself. This is one of the things. Study ourselves. Study each other. Study us together. If I know something's going to be triggering for me, how am I to take care of myself before forehand, not what am I going to do when it all blows up afterwards.
1: Dr. Shafali had shared something at her Evolve event recently that I really hung on to. She said there's two arrows. The first arrow is when I'm triggered. That's coming from that person to me. So mom says the thing and the arrow comes to me. But then the second arrow is from myself and that I put it into myself. Instead of being able to be really curious about that first arrow, we've then given ourselves these two arrows. Mm. I might be botching it a little bit, but it is that piece though, right? We don't get to control that first arrow coming at us, but we do get to control the second arrow and then what we're going to do in response to that first one. I thought that was really powerful when we start to kind of pause and think about like, it's not just what they're doing, but it's then what we do in response to that. Yes. And I
0: love that kind of visualization of it. I think it's so helpful. And, you know, kind of what we were saying, if your mom's making the same comments every single holiday, chances are she's going to make those comments again, right? Mm-hmm. You can keep setting those boundaries. But in this preventative care that we're doing, you can prep for those comments, right? What do I want to do when mom ends up repeating the same thing? It would be great if she listened to my boundary that I said, you know, hey can you not make these comments? Can you not comment on my parenting? Can you, that would be wonderful. However, there's a high chance she might repeat the same comment. And so the question is, what do you want to do with that? How do you want to respond to that? And to really prep for that in a way that helps you stay grounded within yourself and work on responding instead of reacting.
1: Let's break this down. How do we step out of reacting and into responding? Yes. Great question.
0: So the reaction is coming from a place of pain, a place of hurt, right? It's coming from an emotional place, um, and it's likely that these comments that have been made in the past, they have brought up a lot of pain, a lot of anger, a lot of hurt for us. And so I would allow yourself to process through that pain separate from the interaction with your parent, right? Because that is probably deeply rooted in your relationship. And, and
1: can they even hold that? Can they even like understand your pain and hurt? Right. And they may not be able to, and nor might it be the Mm -hmm. time, right? Like you're putting mashed potatoes on your plate. Exactly. Don't you see how painful this is to me? (laughs) Exactly. And you know what? Your
0: parent doesn't have to be involved in that process in order for you to work through that. It would be great, right? Like an ideal world. It would be wonderful if they could say, I completely understand how that would hurt you. And that's coming from my own stuff. And that would be ideal. However, a lot of us don't get that. And so the thing I want to normalize is that you can work through this, whether it's with a therapist, whether, you know, it's you doing your own work, listening to podcast, you have the capacity to work through this for yourself so that you can really build on that sense of self and that self-esteem for yourself that maybe, and give yourself the things that maybe you didn't get growing up, right? That's where a lot of the reparenting work comes in. So when that reaction comes up, it gives you a sense of like, this is a pain point for me. And so you might want to look back and say, like, when are all the times that I've reacted in the past? What did that look like? And what was going on for me at that time? Right. So look at the pain points. Look at the triggers that come up for you. Then to do that preventative care beforehand, right? It's inevitable, right, that mom might say something again that's going to trigger me. This has happened over and over and over again every single year. And so what do I want to do? in those moments that I can hold myself and say, oh, like that feels painful, right? Acknowledge the pain that you're feeling and say, what do I wanna do with this, right? Do I wanna do the same thing by like yelling at mom? Do I wanna do the same thing by storming out and leaving? Or do I wanna say, listen, like I need to take a step away and I need to really respond to this as opposed to react to it. Mm. because in the arrow example, right? You get to decide what you do with your arrow and to make it more of a choice rather than a reaction, that's really the key. So creating space between the emotion and what you do with the emotion in that example can be really, really helpful.
1: I love this piece here that I think is so important. What we're all saying throughout our whole time staying together is the sense of agency. Yes. And I know this piece, I see this on social media, I see this in interactions with some of the younger people and some of the language, the pop psych language that goes around is that a lot of people are stepping into this feeling more like victims, things are happening to them. And what we've talked about today is the sense of agency. You are not the child anymore. You do not have to do that thing to stay safe and connected because you know how to connect with yourself. You know. You know. And even if you're in a shared space with this person who is saying hurtful things to you and you're living under their roof or they're in your life frequently, you still have decisions as an adult, you are able to make decisions. And so that agency, I think is so important that, okay, you can't control what mom says or what somebody else is doing, but you get to choose what you do next. And Jen, that was a great way of like creating space and understanding of what's happening inside of us.
0: Absolutely. It's such an important skill that I think we're not really taught to be able to create that space and to recognize that we don't have control over how anyone else shows up in our relationships. We can express our needs. We can express, you know, this is what's really helpful for me. This is, you know, we can set those boundaries. In the end, we don't have control over anyone else. We just have control over what we do with that. And that is where your power is. That is where your agency is. That is what to take hold of. And I think so often we're looking for other people to do something different as opposed to us saying, well, not in my control. I'm going to take control of what I have control of in this situation.
1: And that is how
0: you respond to them and what you do with that. I know
1: that I could just keep going. And I'm looking at the clock thinking, did we get here already? How (laughs) did we get here? But I'm so thrilled in terms of our conversation today. I'm so grateful for both of you giving me your time. Our time is so precious. And can you let people know where
2: they can find you and get in touch with you? Um, You can listen to us the Shrink Chicks podcast. Any place you get a podcast, follow us at Shrink Chicks. Um, We own a company called The Therapy Group. You can go to The Therapy Group, wherever you follow on social media there too, thetherapygroup.com. But mainly, we're just super hyped to be here with you. And thank you so much for having us. I hope everyone has a great holiday season. Thanks, Emily. Thanks, Jen.
1: Thank you for joining us on today's episode. Don't forget to like, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Also, did you know you can submit your questions to me to be answered on episodes? You can do this on my website, drtracyd.com. Forward slash podcast. I love getting your questions because it brings to life what we in this community are struggling with. And if you haven't yet, and you are looking for something to be different within yourself or your relationship, please check out my newest resources. I have my 100 questions to help you deepen your connection. It's a free guide, and I also have my free masterclass that's going to help you learn how to repair with your partner after the fight. As one person told me, they took pages of notes. It is actually one of my favorite resources and it's completely free to you. And of course, one of my most favorite and most meaningful things that I have done this year is to publish my book. If you haven't yet, go check out my new book. It's called I Didn't Sign Up For This. It's available on all formats. You can purchase the physical copy wherever you buy books and the audio is only available on Audible. All right. Until next time, take good care of you and I'll see you next week. Remember, this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not substitute for the care from a licensed mental health care provider. See you next week.
0: What's up, guys? I'm Gabrielle Stone, host of FML Talk. After being love-bombed, married, and cheated on, trust me, I've got some perspective on love, heartbreak, trauma, and healing. FML Talk has become weekly therapy for my listeners, where I give you a safe space to heal with, of course, a few F-bombs thrown in